You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Relationship Restart. Talking about relationships, talking about all kinds of different relationships, as you see, friends, church, neighborhood, work, family, uh, intimate relationships, partners. Um, As always, if you have any questions about anything I say, feel free to text. We'd be happy to have that. You could question, you can send me answers, you can send me comments if you want to add to it. I'm happy to try to read those at the end, and if I don't get any, I will gloss over it, and I might forget. If I don't get to your question today, I'll do my best to try to answer it throughout the week. Today we're talking about conflict. We're talking about fighting. How to fight. Fighting forward, fighting uh, into relationship. Everybody has conflict. Everybody needs to learn how to do conflict. Here's the problem. We always start with a little bit of bad news so that we can understand the good news because people don't think they need information until they need it, you know? And so I'm trying to make you feel the need for it. And it's this. Some of us never want to fight. Some of us always want to fight. And few of us fight fair or constructively, right? I don't know if that's true for you, but that's the way I'm going to frame it today. I don't know where you fall on here, but I'm somewhere in the middle. (laughs) I'll just let you deduce that. Because uh, this is our wedding picture, and I like to put this one up because it's the least flattering of my beautiful bride. Just like full cake mode. Um, When we were getting married, we did some premarital counseling. We were young. Uh, And the pastor talked to us about all kinds of stuff, and it was great. But his biggest concern was the way that we fought. Aaron's family gets into a little bit of a conflict, goes into a different room, thinks about it for a little bit, comes back out, and resolves it like civilized human beings. (laughs) My hillbilly family (laughs) knocked down drag out. We are not leaving the room until this settled, is settled, and it's usually the person who's the loudest and has the wittiest comebacks, right? Usually that's the one. Who can make the other one mad enough to leave the room? That's the winner, obviously. Have you ever seen wrestling? If you leave the ring, you lose, right? Or like, what's the Japanese wrestling? You get sumo you get pushed out of the out of the ring, you lose, right? That's, that's, and so the pastor was like, I'm not too sure about your relationship. Uh, I'm worried about this way that you resolve conflict. You're going to be a bull in a china shop and just steamroll this sweet, innocent young woman. If he only knew. You know what I mean? She can hold her own. They should have been worried about me. That's all I'm saying. You, <laughs> that's not true. She holds her own, though. Let's just say that. And I think we struggle with this as a society. In fact, I know we do. We struggle with conflict. We struggle with conflict. You know what the rest of the world thinks about Americans? And I don't want to generalize the rest of the world, but oftentimes around the world they say, why are Americans so nice? Why do they try to be so friendly? Why don't they do conflict? Why don't they talk about things that are hard? Um, in, the, in the Harvard Business Review, this woman saying, we need to have more conflict. We need to disagree with each other more. It makes better for, for better productivity, makes for better working, it gets stuff done. It, it, it like, it's just better all around. And yet, as a society, we struggle with it. We most of the time avoid it, or we avoid it so long that it just blows up and tears everything apart, and we don't know how to do it well. 
Here's the good news from Ephesians 4, one of the great chapters in Scripture. Long list here, but we're going to be pulling from this throughout. And so here now, the word of the Lord from Ephesians 4, 25-32. Therefore, after you've gotten rid of lying, each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor, because we are parts of each other in the same body. Be angry without sinning, and don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about three myths of how to have conflict, and then we're going to talk about some of the realities facing those myths and pull some of this scripture in to help us put it in context of God's word. And myth number one about fighting is that fighting, arguing, and anger are a sign of unhealthy relationship. Myth number one, that fighting too much is a sign of an unhealthy relationship. And I'm here to say that it's not fighting in general. Of course I have to say that. I told you about my hillbilly family. It's not fighting in general, but the way that we fight is often the most problematic aspect about how we do conflict, which reminds me of my favorite scene, fighting scene in any movie between a couple. You just get a couple seconds. Would you just stay with me? Stay with you? What for? Look at us. We're already fighting. Well, that's what we do. We fight. So what? So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. And we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you forever, you and me, every day. (laughs) Already, I'm like, (sighs) that's the notebook if you haven't seen it. And that's my, he's like, that's what we do. That's what we do. We fight. And that probably would be problematic if that's all you did. But it's not the way, right? It's not, I mean, it's not the amount of fighting necessarily. It's the way that people resolve conflict. It's the way that people fight. I'm getting this from this book I'm reading, uh, Seven Principles uh, for Making Marriage Work. And he says this, even happily married couples can have screaming matches. Loud arguments don't necessarily harm a message, harm a marriage. But he does want to talk about the way that we fight and how that can be harmful to our, our relationships. And he talks about the four horsemen that will doom any relationship. Another video, a couple minutes, uh, on what the four horsemen are. And then we're going to go through them. Take a look from the Gottman Institute about the four horsemen. You're so selfish. What an idiot. It's not my fault we're always late. Forget it. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Dr. John Gottman calls these negative communication patterns the four horsemen of the apocalypse because they'll lead to the end of your relationship. In fact, he can predict this relationship failure with over 90% accuracy if the behavior isn't changed. So what can you do? Well, at the Gottman Institute, we understand you might not even know you're communicating this way, or you might not know how to control it. But if you practice the following four research-based antidotes, there is hope for your future. Criticism attacks the character of the recipient instead of focusing on a specific behavior. The antidote to criticism is to talk about your feelings using I statements, then express a positive need. Contempt is an expression of superiority that comes out as sarcasm, cynicism, name-calling, 
eye-rolling, sneering, mockery, and hostile humor. Contempt is the greatest predictor of relationship failure and must be eliminated. The antidote to contempt is to treat one another with respect and build a culture of appreciation within the relationship. Defensiveness is self-protection through righteous indignation or playing the victim. Defensiveness never solves the problem and is really just an underhanded way of blaming your partner. The antidote to defensiveness is to accept responsibility, even if only for part of the conflict. Stonewalling occurs when the listener withdraws from the conversation without resolving anything. It takes time for the negativity created by the first three horsemen to result in stonewalling, but when it does, it can become a habit. The antidote to stonewalling is to break for at least 20 minutes, calm down, then return to the conversation. I forgot where the end of my video was. So I'm using Gottman. Um, he's not the only one. There's lots of great things out there. I, I, re I recommend exploring different things. I, I like this one. Um, but like I said, lots of really valid, excellent other resources out there. For him, the four horsemen are these ones that we just talked about. Criticism versus, he wants to make it different than a complaint. Criticism versus complaint. Here's complaint. I need you to check with me before inviting anyone over for dinner. I wanted to spend alone time with you tonight. I want us to schedule a romantic evening this week. You're stating your feelings. You're stating your needs. Criticism is, why do you keep putting your friends ahead of me? I I always come last on your list. Are you avoiding spending time? You can see the difference, right? You see the difference here versus that. He says, complaints, totally valid. In fact, work on that. How I feel, what I'm hoping to receive. Uh, criticism begins uh, when you attack the personality or the actions of your partner, which, uh, yeah, the second, fourth of the four is contempt a sense of superiority over the other person, attacking someone's self-worth with the intent to insult or harm, thinking that you're better, right? This comes out in lots of different ways, right? Like my partner wouldn't, would lose their head if it wasn't attached to their body, right? Treating your partner as a child, disrespecting them, thinking that you're smarter or better than they are. Right, this type of contempt, uh, can the, he said, is the number one predictor of a failed relationship. Any relationship. This isn't just uh, marital relationships or romantic relationships. This works anywhere. If you are treating the other person as though you are superior, it is going to break down quickly. Defensiveness is the one that I probably struggle with the most because I think I'm right. right? Like if I didn't think I was right, I would pick a different thing think about I pick a different one like why would I think I was wrong I would not hold a position that I thought was purposefully wrong and so uh, I often fall into this one and it's interesting the way that he frames it in all its guises defensiveness just escalates the conflict which is why it's so deadly it says the problem isn't me it's you and so someone comes at you and says hey I was uh, I was hoping to eat some of that ice cream too and it makes me sad that you ate all the ice cream without thinking about me. Legitimate complaint. And I'm like, well, you should have, you know, like just got defensive right away. I just made it, I just escalated it. And I made it about that person, right? Like instead of about their legitimate feelings and uh, things that they wanted to see different in the future. I can see that. I can see how that can be important. Last one, stolen wallet. Shutting down, getting quiet, no response. This happens sometimes when I get too defensive. My spouse goes, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. 
I'm, she does not think I'm right in the least bit. She's just done listening to me get defensive. Yeah, these are the four horsemen, according to Gottman. They're other, like I said, methods and ways of thinking about relationships. But for him, these are them. Unforgiveness. So it's not necessarily those arguments and the anger, the frustration. It's really this unforgiveness, this cutting words, this festering anger that make for destructive conflict. God's word tells us, don't let the sun, sun set on your anger. I know some people who read this literally, and they think they got to resolve conflict that day. I know some people who read this figuratively and say, I need to resolve this situation before it turns sour, before it gets bad. However it is, however you read that, God is encouraging you to make sure you're seeking reconciliation uh, before things get bad. Um, if you want to do it that day, that's fine. If you want to sleep on it, some people need to sleep on it. I'm just saying. Um, Sleep on it. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Be forgiving to one another. Yeah? This is what God's word encourages for us. Myth number two. Defending truth and being right is the more important thing. This is, this is all messed up. Thank you, Alice. Than people or feelings. Yeah? Or the most important thing. Defending truth and being right is more important than people or feelings. Let's just say it that way. I know people who think like this, standing here on the stage. Sometimes you think the truth is more important. Sometimes you have to, and, and sometimes this is especially hard for people who are raised in the church or raised in the faith, thinking that you've got to defend the truth, and you do. There are ways and times where you are called to do that for Jesus. Uh, but there are times when uh, sometimes we do that in a way that diminishes the importance of people and their feelings. And so this is myth number two about relationships is that people's feelings and important uh, people and their feelings are important, and sometimes defending the truth um, at the expense of those is not always as important. My wife will say, "You could be right, or you can be married." And what she means is, "Are you trying to be right, or are you trying to be in a relationship?" And I think that's a helpful way to think about it, because the goal of conflict should be greater relationships. Not winning, I have learned. And so are you trying to be right or are you trying to be in a relationship? What does God's word tell us? Each of you must tell the truth. Hey, the truth. We get to defend the truth. We get to tell the truth. But what's the context? You tell it to your neighbor because we are parts of each other in the same body. The context is community. It's togetherness. You are telling the truth because you are part of the same body. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for the building up of community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Some of us live in a duality. We live in two ways of thinking when there are multiple ways of thinking. It's either defending the truth or telling a lie, right? What do you want me to do? Lie, James? Well, what does God's word say? Sometimes the third option is just be quiet, which is also not a strength of mine, right? Sometimes the third option is just not to say anything, which I'm learning. It's not, so you've got to tell the truth, but, but only say what is helpful when it is needed for the building up of the community. The end result, the context of truth-telling and speaking is for the building up of one another. And this isn't for marriage. This isn't, uh, Paul's not writing to married folks. He's writing to us. This is for everybody. When you're speaking... Make sure it's truthful, but make sure you only say what is needed for, uh, that is helpful for the building up of community. The end result of our speaking is for community. Godman's got keys to conflict, got four keys to uh, ha how to improve your conflict, which for some of us, this is going to be 
some of us just need to kind of work on the idea that conflict isn't bad, right? And the way we approach conflict can be healthy. Um, so some of us are going to be right there. Uh, but when you get into conflict, here are four keys to good conflict. Number one, afraid, sad, mad, these harder emotions are important emotions. And a lot of us have learned to avoid them. When someone's expressing them to us, we try to get away. When we feel them ourselves, we try to eat cereal. You know, some people have a hard time with these harder emotions, but these are not bad. They're just harder. They're just on the harder end of the spectrum. And so key number one to good conflict is learning to acknowledge, express, and listen to harder emotions. It's vital. Not ignoring them, not trying to shut them down in the person that has conflict with you, acknowledging them, listening to them, afraid, sad, mad. What does God's word say? Be angry without sinning. Anger isn't bad. There is a way to be angry that is bad. There's a way to be a lot of things that are bad. But there's a way to be, to have anger, to be mad, to be upset, to be frustrated, and to be totally holy and righteous. Speaking of which, I did not ask. But there's an emotion seminar happening tomorrow at the Axiom. One of our very own who's much more qualified to speak on this situation is leading it. Angie's leading an emotion seminar tomorrow at the Axiom. The Axiom's hosting it. And I think I saw Uncle Ping's. So if you want a Chinese food, guys, listen, I'm excited about this, but have you ever had their pork chops? Salt and pepper pork chops? That's next level, y'all. But also, this is going to be really exciting. <laughs> it's kind of like Panda, but like cheaper if you go during lunchtime. Um, tomorrow night, 5 p.m., it starts. The training's at 545, 6.30. It's talking about emotions this is, and, and self-care training. Uh, it's definitely something worth check out. If you are hearing me talk about emotions and know that that's a sticky point to you, Go get some, uh, some training. Some, get, get, here's somebody who's, who's actually trained in this stuff to talk about it in a deeper sense. Key number two to good conflict. No one is always or perfectly right, which is a little bit of bruise to the ego here. Again, why would I have an opinion that I thought was wrong? But uh, we all have our own perspective on situations, and humbly knowing that we can be mistaken is a good beginning posture. There's no way you're always right. And there's no way they're always wrong. And if that's your position, you got a lot of work to do, a lot of praying to do. God's word tells us to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to one another. This is a good posture of humility that if we go in with this posture for conflict, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make things a lot better all around. Key number three, acceptance before advice. Or another way I say this is, connection before correction. People need to feel understood, respected, and accepted before they can hear your advice or how, what you think they did wrong or all the frustrations you have for them. Remember the goal God tells us. The goal is that we would be building towards community. Each of you tell the truth to your neighbor because we are parts of the same body. The core truth is that we are community and then as you speak truth, you're speaking into that sense. Not to divide, but to heal, to bring together, to reconcile. Last key to conflict, and we are winding down here. Key number four, focus on fondness. Focus on fondness. The person is the priority. Problems may not get solved, 
but growing and expressing fondness for each other, forgiving shortcomings and faults can help a relationship remain healthy. Remember, you love this person. You want to be in relationship with this person. That's why you're having conflict with this person. And the end result is close closeness, not separation. So remember the goal. Focus on the fondness that you have for the person that you're conflicting with. As God's word says, don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful and needed for the building up of those relationships, of that community, so that it benefits what, uh, what you say. Hear those who hear what you say. One of my favorite artists, John Foreman, had came out with a new solo album, and I like his solo albums better than when he's with his band. And he has this line that just hit me like a ton of bricks, which is, which is best to win, a captive or a friend? And sometimes I approach conflict like I'm looking to win. Yeah, a captive, right, to be right. And it's just a reminder of what is being said here in Scripture and what's being said here by Gottman Institute is that the end result of conflict is closeness. Not to be right and not to win. And I'm not saying everyone struggles with that, but I'm just reminding us of that. My summary of this last point, we'll move into our final point and be very close to being done, is this. Relationships of people always have priority and are given preference. Moving forward in the relationship is the goal of all conflict. Yeah. I think if we could approach conflict with that idea, man, it's going to make things a lot better. Lastly, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Myth number three, words are very impactful. Over and over again in this passage, it tells us to be careful about our words. Don't make the Spirit of God unhappy. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit because you were sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption. Therefore, be kind, right? Say what is only helpful. When you tell the truth, remember that it's in the context of having community. Your words and how you resolve conflict with people around you have eternal significance, have eternal significance. I'm ending with this Jesus verse. If you have any questions or comments, send them now. If not, we'll move into a time of communion. But Jesus says, I tell you that people will have to answer on judgment day for every useless word they speak. By your words, you will be either judged innocent or condemned as guilty, Matthew 12. And I don't bring this verse up to try to scare you. Uh, Although I'm sure you're thinking that, you're like, of course, James is going to, the pastor is going to end with a little bit of scary. But really, all I'm trying to point out to you is Jesus says our words are very important, have eternal consequences. I'm not trying to guilt you into like, uh, I better say the right thing. I'm just trying to tell you that this is an important topic. It's something worth thinking about. It's something worth being intentional about. It's something worth getting tools to help you do it better because it's going to make or break relationships. And the core truth of that verse we read from Paul and most of Scripture is that community is wildly important. And you can uh, frustrate people. You can break off relationships with words, with the way that you approach conflict. Every relationship is going to have conflict. To get real relationship, you're going to have to go through conflict. Socrates, the great philosopher, says, uh, a person cannot have true friends unless they share salt together with them. And that's a phrase saying that you have to go through some stuff. You have to go through some hard stuff to get to real friendships, to get to real relationships. And so the way you approach those is going to make or break your relationships and ultimately the quality of life that you have. If you have any texts, send them now. Then we'll summarize this. Pray and be on our way. I saw one come in. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe, maybe I did. Is there a way to engage in healthy conflict when only one party engages the conflict with these tenants? That is a great question. Angie's doing a seminar tomorrow <laughs> at the Axiom. Feel free to go and ask her. Uh, I imagine it would be a lot more difficult. But the way that you respond can escalate or de-escalate the situation. So they might not have the tools. They might not know the principles. But you can model good, good things. You may have to take that 20-minute break from them. Uh, but by modeling it, by de-escalating it, by focusing on the fondness, by, by continuing to try to gear, gear the, relation, the, the conflict towards closeness, uh, that's always going to be helpful, though you are, will have an uphill battle for sure. But I think it's possible. Uh, at the end of the day, w you all know, the only, thing, the only person you could change is really yourself, and, and even modeling some of this stuff is going to be helpful, even with people that are going to blow up and be upset and be frustrated. Um, and that's just how things are and a reality that we might face. But it will make for better relationships all around in general. Thank you for that question. Moving on, here, let's summarize this and be on our way. What does God want us to know? The way that we fight is more important necessarily than how much we fight. The tools that we bring, the way that we approach it, the goal that we have for the end of that conflict is so much more valid and important and vital uh, than, than how much, which is very good news for folks like me who love getting in a good scrap, you know, just verbal, you know. What does God want you to feel in your heart is that connection through conflict, which is a foreign idea to me, which is why I keep hitting on it, this idea that the end of conflict is closeness, uh, which is just not natural to me just does not come naturally to me. The end of conflict is to be right and to win. And that is not what God wants for us. Lastly, what are we supposed to do? Prioritize the person over the problem. Focus on the fondness, we kept saying. Connection before correction, these types of things. The end result is closeness, and we're prioritizing the person over the problem. Here is your spiritual practice of the week. Uh, I, made, I, I printed out a sheet from the Gottman Institute on the Four Horsemen. And their antidotes, if this was helpful for you, they are in that table as you walk out the door. Um, it has the which one, uh, what, what horsemen there are here, and then it has uh, their antidote. And so I would encourage you as your homework to figure out which one you just are at home in, which one comes the most natural to yourself. And then if you can, because conflict is inevitable, uh, I, I would love for you to maybe take some time to think about this antidote take this antidote yeah feel good understood uh i expect a four-page paper next week and i will see would you pray with me thank you father thank you that we can think intentionally about this thing that we sometimes don't think intentionally about something that our our world deeply struggles with we cannot do conflict well for some reason it is tearing us apart but lord would we be people would we be people that do it well, that model that healthy way of living, healthy way of conflicting, healthy way of being in relationship with one another. We are so grateful that we can have your word to guide us, to encourage us into community, 
And we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to recognize not only when conflict is approaching so that we don't get flooded or overwhelmed, but that you would help, it, help us use it as a catalyst for greater relationship with one another. And as we go out into our world, would you help us to recognize it? Would you help us to embrace it? And would you help us to uh, forge forward for better relationships? And now, Table Church, as we move into communion, would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.